0: Why, hello, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This weekend's a good one. Coming up. The lovely Cecilia Hearn chats about her 19th novel in a thousand different ways. Tom Davis is flexing his actor muscles once more in a series two of The Curse and tells me about his upcoming comedy show, Underdog, as well. Neve Alger joins me in the studio to talk us through her new medical drama, Malpractice. Trust me, it's very, very tense. A show chef, Martha, celebrates Earth Day and has tips for your leftover veg. And she also has the best Bakewell tray bake recipe. (gasps) Yum. Ooh, and there's a round of word up. Who will be winning that Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box this week? But before all of that, Maria and I have some dilemmas to deliberate in Graham's guide. Here's Maria to kick us off. Hello. Hi,
1: how are you? Hi. Well, do you know, Graham, I, what, what, what is going on? Who has flu at the beginning of spring? Nobody. And that's what I seem to have. And you know what I did last night, Graham? I took some cold and flu remedy, thought, well, that would do, be good. And then at three o'clock in the morning, still no sleep, I looked at the packet and it wasn't the, you know, nighttime one. It's full of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> that was not very you- bright. For-
0: you should have gone out and done the marathon in reverse that's what people do at night now
1: i love you having to explain that people aren't running backwards i mean really have we come to this they're just doing it from the finish to the beginning
0: (laughs) but i'm sure you know what it's like people do try to find new novelty ways to make the marathon even harder. Like it wasn't hard enough. So I'm going to get inside a diving suit or something. And I love really the diving really bell really man. It took
1: him about four weeks, didn't it? Or something. He was had to go one mile yeah, every two days.
0: My mother's ninety one. <laughs> she would have she would have lapped him. <laughs>
1: My, because of my cold and, and um, flu medication, all night, obviously not really sleeping, I have been trying in my dreams to park a boat. I don't think that's the terminology, is it? Parking a boat? It's mooring More. a boat. But a really big mm. boat, like with lots of passengers on. What's the Freudian analysis of that, Dr Graham Norton?
0: I suggest you've been watching too many clips of big boats crashing into piers on Facebook.
1: No, wrong. I don't do that. I don't scroll through <laughs> Facebook watching stupid dogs doing things.
0: Do do you um, not? Do you but- not get those videos? I, for some reason, my algorithm is uh, cooking things outside and uh, large cruise ships crashing into piers. I, <laughs> I see a lot of those.
1: How did that happen? No, but you can waste hours doing that, just scrolling through videos, and people do. And I find oh, yeah. that is a rabbit hole <laughs> I do not wish to go down. Um, Graham, apparently you have done something quite exciting this week, and I would like to hear about it.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> well, it is quite exciting. I saw Bono, you know, Bono from U2. And I actually, I, do I, know. And I say, I saw him. I, I say saw so, him. It wasn't like a spotted Bono enjoying a espresso at Bar Italia. No, it was I actually saw him, saw him. He was performing uh in New York at the Beacon Theatre and it's this show he does, it's his book tour. So it's about his autobiography and it's Really cleverly staged, and you know, I thought it would just be him talking maybe singing a few songs, but it's properly kind of theatrical, and and he does, you know, acting. He kind of plays all the parts, and he's really oh, no, good job
1: acting. Get out of here! Who's his drama coach? I
0: know, I know. And um, th- what was sweet was though the audience, though you know, they knew the audience did know that it was going to be a book event, but whenever he would sort of, you know. And there were musicians on stage with them, but not the rest of you two, just the other people. And uh, whenever, whenever he would start to sing, like just the li- a line of one of their hits, the audience would just
1: on its feet go
0: and then he would stop singing and they'd all go, oh, sit down. So basically, sit
1: down they really would, they'd prefer him to sing rather than talk about his life. I mean, the uh, edge will be the edge will be furious. He'll be doing a book tour soon now, and oh, doing little bits like yes. that, won't he? They'll all be furious. The rest of you two.
0: Yeah, he'll be beyond the edge. He does talk about the rest of you two, and he does uh, he does uh, the voices of the other people in you two. I mean, it's clever. It was really clever and kind of moving. A lot of it about his dad. An awful lot of the show is about his, his relationship with his dad, which was, you know, difficult to say the least. Yeah, um, I, think, but, you, I yeah. think
1: I remember you saying his book is very good. Um, did you see any other celebs there? Because normally on those nights, there's Celeb City. Do you know what?
0: Because it was America. I think there were lots of famous people. But I was kind of going, is that?
1: Is that? Is that?
0: Something? So uh, there was a man behind us. And I was like, "I was uh, was with me. And I was going, who's that? And so uh, Jono pretended to take his coat off so he could stand up and have a look at the person sitting behind him. And it was Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, the film director. Oh, we love uh, him.
1: Yeah. We uh, love so him. we said hello
0: to him. Uh Questlove, Questlove was there. And then, so, you know, so you're in New York and you think, oh, this is very exotic. Look at all these, all these American celebrities. Davina McCall. Davina McCall came wandering down the the aisle. (laughs) Oh.
1: Made you feel like home. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) What a waste of money this was. (laughs) Fly all the way over. (laughs) I (laughs) loved Jono's version of the...
1: I love Jono's version of, you know, having a look at whoever's behind, trying to take his coat off. Because really, it's that thing where you say, don't look now. But uh, when you're you know, <laughs> seeing somebody, don't look now. And people always look now. And they just swivel themselves <laughs> around. And then you go, I said don't look now. <laughs> Why does that happen?
0: And then they go, it's not them.
1: Don't take your coat off now. I like the idea of him taking his coat off 14 times during the whole show. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm
1: not, I'm getting a bit cold. I'll just put my coat back on again. Oh, I'm hot again. Oh,
0: no. I'm cold again. it's warmer than I thought. I'll just take it off. Yeah, yeah. I'm very good at spotting celebrities in airports. I don't know about you. Uh, It's never them. It's never the actual celebrity. Whereas in life, I'm terrible at noticing celebrities. But in airports, I think everyone's famous. Yeah.
1: Yes, but do you never play that game at airports? Because airports can be deathly dull, where you do look alike celebrities. So, if you're whoever you're with, you say, Oh, look, there's a Barack Obama, or Oh, look, there's um, the Queen Mother, <laughs> just to people who look vaguely like them or might wear, be wearing the same color. I find that's a very good game to pass the time. Maybe I've had too much yes, flu medication.
0: Yeah, the Queen Mother clanking through the gin selection and duty free.
2: (laughs) Right,
0: you'll
1: be canceled. You'll be canceled.
0: Oh no. Oh well, never mind. (laughs) Um, Right, you gather some letters and we'll get to them after Virgin Radio.
1: Here's the first problem, which is very, very timely, can I just say? It's obviously Ooh, been I love festering topical in problem. My...
0: I love a topical problem. Yes, Mars, it's been festering Mars.
1: in my postbag. I just lugged it out. <laughs> Dear Graham and Maria, I've been training for the London Marathon with my friend. Let's call her Ellie. We work so well together, encouraging each other and offering support and lots of motivation. She wants to run with me on the day. But she's quite a lot slower than I am. I really want to go for a personal best and not to be held back. We've been training together for seven months. Is it mean of me to say something and how do I broach it without causing any bad feelings? And that is from Sophie in Aldershot. Well done, Sophie in Aldershot, for training and good luck tomorrow. But I have to say, Sophie in Aldershot, this may have been languishing in the postbag, you have left it a little bit late to tell your friend, let's call her Ellie, that you're not going to be running with her. And I'm afraid there's a sort of element, Ellie, uh, Sophie in Aldershot, of hubris here of you saying oh yeah we trained well together and thanks very much for that but see ya you know get to the start line and just go see you at the other end loser I mean you know you could possibly think about this Sophie in order you could possibly get cramp and need a friend or trip over and need somebody to help you with a bandage or whatever I don't know the London marathon is 26 miles it's long and it's painful and you'll need a friend. And just for the sake of knocking, what well, you're not going to be in the top sort of 200, are you, Sophie and shot I'm assuming. Um, just for the sake of knocking a few minutes off your personal best, you're going to throw away seven months of training. I mean, if you train together, Sophie and shot surely when you train together, you run together. That's the whole point. Motivation, support. You cannot leave your friend at the start line. You've left it too late to say her, to broach the subject. Suck it up. And then do another marathon where you go for your personal best and do it alone. I just think it's a bit mean. Sorry, what do you think, Graham?
0: Well, we were talking about running in reverse earlier. And that's really what Sophie should do, is run backwards to seven months ago and (laughs) have this (laughs) realisation then. Because not only have you left it too late to tell your friend, Sophie, but it strikes me that if you've been training with a slow person for the last seven months you're not up to your best, are you? Because you've been kind of holding back. So actually for all your, oh, I could run a lot faster than her. You haven't really trained properly for seven months. So, you know, try, you might run faster than her for, you know, five miles and then she'll find you gasping and holding onto a, a lamppost uh, as she jogs slowly past. Tortoise and tear, things like that. So I think I mean, Sophie, uh, another, I'm with you. I think another year, you uh, then go hell for leather and and push yourself and see what you can do. For this year, it's too late to push yourself because also I think you'll hurt yourself because you haven't been training at the pace you now want to go at. So it's a disaster written all over it.
1: Sophie could have been training with her friend, let's call her Ellie, and going a bit slow and doing the motivation and so on. But then Sophie could have been doing some you know fast sprints on her own in her spare time so that she is it was a bit like playing tennis isn't it if you train if you play with somebody who's a lot better than you then it ups your game so maybe you've been helping Ellie along with her game so continue to do that because it does it smacks of sort of selfishness and overconfidence doesn't it Graham to be thinking I'm going to go for a personal best I'll be up there with the winners and loser Ellie will be miles behind me she won't even make the pub that kind of thing
0: It's not a race. It's not a race, what it is for some people. But I think for most people, it's not a race. I I mean, it's a race for a few people at the front there, but for most people, the London Marathon is a thing you do, and completing it is winning it. So, honestly, Sophie, I I just think, you know, you've done all this work with your friend, just hang out together, and, you know, and also, if she's really struggling, she may say, oh, look, if you want to just, you know, leave me, save yourself. Uh, So (laughs) she might...
1: (laughs) I'm a burden to you. I'm a burden. (laughs) Go ahead. Send help. It's about feel good, isn't it? It's about everyone feeling good. The atmosphere on the day. It's really not unless you're in the real top 200. It's not about racing, Sophie. Just suck this up.
0: Yeah, because also you, you're you going to be in the bit, Sophie, I imagine, with your friend Ellie, where for the first, you know, once you leave Greenwich, I know you. it's all timed and stuff. But at the beginning there, it, you will just be shuffling along because there's so many people and, you know, it's just, yeah. So I just think, have <laughs> I like a nice you day.
1: saying this like you've done the marathon, Graham. I'm sure I've seen you there. I'm very yeah, good at several times, several in times. Oh,
0: I've raised, I have raised millions for charity with my running. I really have. No, you do it on your bike. <laughs> I, even that i'd struggle 26 miles (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) i do what makes me laugh about the training for the marathon is on the day it nobody looks like they trained it all it all looks like a horrible surprise to everybody by the time they're getting to the end so I especially think, the people don't train at all oh, no, it's, too, it's too late for this it's too late for this but my advice is always don't train at all because then at least you've only one horrible day whereas if you train for seven months you've had that's weeks of that's ridiculous
1: advice that's unsafe advice Graham take it back immediately okay
0: well, it's too late. It's too late. People can't take my advice now because the marathon's <laughs> tomorrow. Dev responses, part one. I'm my favorite responder today will be getting a Waitrose Victoria sponge cake. Yes, it's a sponge cake filled with whipped buttercream and strawberry jam. You know, A Victoria's sponge cake. Delicious. Uh, Let's find out what you thought. Gavin in Belfast says, The idea of dumping your friend after seven months' training seems really bad form. You've worked together and supported one another through seven months of hard work. Like it or not, you are a team. To land this on them the day before a race is very unfair and could seriously damage their confidence. As my old dad would say, You gotta dance with the one that brought you. Isn't that a fantastic... I love that. you are going to dance with the one that brought you. Thank you very much, Gavin. Now, you know who couldn't disagree more? John and Michelle. No, no, no. You've got Sophie's response all wrong. Sophie and her friend Ellie don't need to be joined at the hip. True, it's not a three-legged race. Every runner knows that on these events, you do what you need to do for yourself. Also, think of poor Ellie, feeling like she's holding her friend back. Not good maybe you're right John and Michelle what, wait, we're not runners we don't know uh, Carol is in Long Eaton oh Graham and Marie are absolutely right Saws, John and Michelle it is far too late to dump Ellie now unfortunately the weather isn't looking great and supporting each other is what is important here enjoy the marathon with Ellie take in the atmosphere and focus on a Oh, personal best, another time. (laughs) I thought that said pub. (laughs) Focus on the pub, another time. OK, personal best. Good luck to you both for tomorrow. (laughs) Thanks, Carol. And Georgie Nocom says, Sophie, how would you feel if Ellie said that to you? It's mean and unsporting. Uh, I'm going to give the Victoria sponge cake to Gavin in Belfast. That's who's getting that.
1: Graham's Guide. Okay. Here we go, a bit longer. Dear Graham and Maria, can you help? I have a two-part problem. My partner has recently left me after 10 years together. We had our ups and downs, we never really argued, and during Covid he suffered from depression, which I helped him through as best I could. Since then, I discovered through friends that he's been using online dating apps for self-validation. In inverted commas, I don't know what that means. The third time I caught him, he stated we weren't happy and that he was leaving. This has destroyed me and I desperately want him back. I can't seem to get over him. Do I fight? Do I walk away? I don't think I did anything wrong other than to put my guard up. We also share a cat. He wants us to share the cat. But I think that for both my health and the sanity of the cat, when one of us leaves it's just wrong. He also works very long hours, which I don't, and it makes sense that the cat stays with me. I don't want to use the cat as a bargaining tool, but also don't want it to be a victim of this situation. My ex is currently thinking about what to do, leaving me in limbo, waiting for his message. Do I give him the cat? Do I take control and say this cat is staying? Is there a magic solution to the pain of this heartbreak? And that is from Sam in Chessington. Oh, Sam in Chessington, I'm so sorry. This is Just terribly hard and very sad. And really, your problem isn't a two part problem, it's all part of the same problem. I mean, no magic solution. And sometimes, Sam in Chessington, things just run out of steam. And you say it's destroyed you, you desperately want him back. But Sam in Chessington, you weren't really happy either. He was depressed during Covid, it's been difficult for a long time. You've just been chugging along in you know, a relationship that possibly n- neither of you knew how to fix and he's now gone. So ah, I don't think it's worth fighting. I just think you would do better. You're in pain at the moment, Sam. You would do better to just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and all the cliches, I'm afraid, that are true but that do help. As for the cat, this is you're conflating and you are transferring a lot of your pain onto the cat. My personal feeling is, Sam in Chessington, this is what you fight for. The cat stays with you in terms of the cat stays where it's known and loved and knows where the cat flap is and where its cat friends are in the house that you are in. I don't think he could force this issue... And the cat will clearly give you some form of help. You might need to get in touch. This is terrible that you're in the position of waiting for him to call. You might need to do some mediation together. I think that will give you back a sense of control. You can find mediation apps, etc., online. It's hard on your own, and it will help you split up 10 years of your life with your staff and cats and so on. You know, it's not always about staying together it's sometimes splitting up with dignity and the least amount of pain graham what do you think it's a sad letter
0: it's an awful situation to be in sam and i feel like this your partner is a piece of work because Mm. it seems like he was just cross that he'd been caught out using these apps and going right well actually we're not happy and i'm leaving um and now he's left you in limbo he has it sounds like he hasn't even you know, finalised, actually, it is completely over. He's sort of keeping you hanging on. And I think, Sam, you need to get in the driving seat here a bit and just go, uh, by the way, I'm going to keep the cat, and this is over. You know, just you get on with your life, da-da-da. Because he can't mess you around like this. Because as Maria says, if you read your letter, it doesn't sound particularly rosy. It doesn't sound like it was love's young dream. So... uh, and, you know, the fact he, he, he's he got caught out three times, not once, not twice, three times um, suggests, you know, I know it's very hard because you're thinking, but wait, I did nothing wrong. And I looked after you and you were depressed and I supported you and I did this and I did that. But in a relationship, that kind of counts for nothing if the other person... Doesn't value you, uh. You know, you, there, there, it's, it, there are no prizes for for <laughs> the work you put in. So I, 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 think I just think you need to be a bit proactive here and stop yeah. waiting. Um, you I mean, know, just Sam, say, cat Ka- poor- saying.
1: Yeah, poor Sam says, you know, I desperately want him back. I don't think you do desperately want him back, Sam, from Jessington. And in a few months' time, you'll look back and think, why did I want him back? Because what you don't want is the change. Sometimes people stay in relationships that are long dead because they are afraid of change. And so you're not living your best life. And you could be living your best life if you just embrace that change because what's happening now is that neither of you have been happy and there is happiness ahead and possibility ahead, but you've just got to be brave through this bit and use your cat as a little sounding board, uh, and don't let the cat go. I'm very, I'm very yeah. cross that he wants I mean, to share the cat.
0: The trouble is also ten. I think if you invest. If you invest ten years, you kind of think, oh, but wait, that was a waste of ten years if, if it doesn't continue. But it wasn't. You know, the ten years was still the ten years. You still, it, it all happened. It was all real, um, but. Yeah, but it's it's still not a reason to stay with someone, uh, having shared 10 years, uh, mm-hmm. and or indeed a cat. Two responses, part two, and my favourite responder will be getting that Waitrose Victoria sponge cake filled with whipped buttercream and strawberry jam. Delicious. We asked you for your responses. Now, I have to say, of all the responses I was expecting, I was not expecting this. This is from Brenda in Banstead. Cats are fickle. They transfer affection very easily. The cat serves as a trigger for bad memories. Rehome the cat, ditch the bad memories, get a dog in a new life. Well, don't mess with Brenda in Banstead. Uh, okay, I mean that's. I mean I like it. It's bold. It's very bold. Uh, Emma in Chepstow, pick up the cat and run. You deserve love and happiness. So does your cat. Whilst holding a cat, go look in the mirror and tell yourself that you deserve more than a three-time, at least, cheater and that you are going to take the rest of this year to find out what makes you happiest. Then, you're going to spend the next ten years doing those things and then promise uh, the cat that they can be witness to the best things in life. At some point, you will need to put the cat down, uh, Sam, I would say. Good advice, though, Emma. Lovely. Uh, Tracy is in Felixstowe, home of the cat. Sam... He is a coward. He is clearly trying to line up another partner before he leaves you. Clearly he can't be on his own. Take control, Sam. It is hurtful now, but believe me, you will feel so much stronger when you do. Thank you, Tracy. And Liv for the world says, Sam, then in block capitals, because it's, it's that serious, do not give up your cat. Whose name is on the cat's insurance? Hopefully yours. If it's a pedigree, Lynn has really thought this through. If it's a pedigree, who is the certified owner? Again, hopefully yours. Sam, your ex is actually really horrible. You will find happiness and your cat will help. Well, hopefully some of that advice helped Sam in Chessington to move on with his life. The
1: Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Uh,
0: Right, time to meet my first guest today. Uh, I mean, uh, so many fabulous books. People love her books. Hotly anticipated. The new one is out now. It's called In a Thousand Different Ways. Her name is Cecilia Hearn. Hello, how are you?
3: Hello, Graham. I'm good, thank you.
0: Good, good, good. So a thousand <laughs> different ways. We meet Alice. She's she's eight when we meet her and we kind of follow her life. Uh, tell me, uh, the listeners at least, uh, what makes Alice so special? Why are we interested in her?
3: So Alice has the ability to see people's moods and emotions in the form of colours around their bodies. And so just by looking at someone, she can know exactly how they're feeling inside. But if the colour travels to her, then she can also feel exactly as they're feeling I wanted to write about um, what it's like to be empathetic and to be highly sensitive. And so I chose to use colours for emotions because for people who aren't quite empathetic, it's hard to really understand how, you know, if someone says a kind word, how that can move to one person to the next um, or a cruel word, how how that can um, travel from one person to the next. So it's a very colourful book. Um, It's about empathy and it's about a character trying to navigate her own life while feeling all the stuff from everybody else around her
0: and you know people often don't get the families they deserve and certainly that's the case with Alice isn't it
3: yeah absolutely we meet her at eight years old and I think that for me as the writer the reason she has this skill is is for, for survival and her mom is very she has bipolar disorder and she doesn't know which version of her mother she's going to get at any given day or moment so she starts analyzing her and trying to read her mood and that's when the colors develop you know she first sees her mother in a cloud of blue um and then it travels to other people and then it's everybody for the rest of her life. So from a young age, she's really trying to to read the atmosphere of her house every single moment of every day.
0: And tell me this, Cecilia, this gift that she has, in your version, is it a kind of a supernatural thing? Because I know there's, there's that book, Born on a Blue Day, Daniel damn it, where you know, I think some autistic people see colours a lot and associate colours with people. So where where is this gift? Is it based in reality or is it purely supernatural?
3: But I didn't want to write supernatural or fantasy or magical or anything like that. I really wanted it to be grounded in reality. I know that sounds weird because I've written about someone who sees colours, but we do know that people do see auras. Um, and there's also that word that I can't say properly, synesthesia, synesthesia. Um, where, you know, people are just wired wired differently. You know, some people hear music and see colors, and um, I know someone who who sees money in colors, um, or when they hear the numbers, they see colors. So I wanted it to be more along those lines. And um, when I was pregnant with my third child, I experienced aura migraines. And it was around the time I was thinking of this book, and I thought, well, that's my way in. You know, sometimes things can be hormonal or neurological. and uh, and, and, that's, and that's really where it is. It's not supernatural. It's more kind of crazy wiring happening with her.
0: And because of the way the story is told, you know, we meet her when she's eight and then we follow her as she kind of uh, gets out of Dublin and other things that happen to her life. Did you, did, did you just kind of put her in that situation and see where it went? Or are you one of those writers who kind of had it all mapped out?
3: I have a lot of it mapped out. I mean, I don't think you can have it all... But um, I certainly knew, most importantly, I always know how I want it to end. You know, I want, I know the feeling that I want to have, or I want the reader to have at the end. But sometimes I don't know how to get to each point in the novel. But um, I knew I wanted it to be her whole lifetime. It's no spoilers. We do meet her at eight and it brings her to the, the final days of her life. And I wanted it to be about how she sees this skill as a burden, um, it's a burden to be empathetic for a lot of people. And it's it's difficult to always feel what other people are feeling. And so she has to learn to go from shielding herself to actually communicating with humans and, and, knowing, and being able to live her own life despite what other people are feeling around them. So that was the journey I wanted her to take. It wasn't, you know, I could have gone two ways. I could have thought, well, she can feel what everyone feels, then she tries to help them. But it was the opposite. I wanted her to not want to help people and to feel like she's kind of lost in this, what she thinks is a curse.
0: But it's very joyful.
3: It's very joyful.
0: But it is it's a, but also she is a great character. I mean you like spending time with her. But I am but I, you talked about this this idea that you know this is is this your 20th. Is this the actual 20th novel? This is 19.
3: 19. So um, but it is I, I don't know. It is my favourite book that I've written. I do think that it is the, probably the best book that I've written. And I don't say that for every novel. I just, I feel like I was really connected to this one. Um, I kind of emptied the tank into this story, probably because I'm quite similar to her, though I'm not her. Um, but I was able to really feel, really feel my way through this story. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of 19. I don't know how I'm going to do better with 20. But
0: <laughs> this one's a <laughs> <fun> one. <laughs> and does it get easier in any way as your confidence I mean you know you should be very confident The amount of success you've had but does that confidence (laughs) does that does that confidence help you through
3: I think it does help it does you know and there's definitely days when I think um this is it I'll never write a novel again I can't even write one sentence today you know it just and sometimes it's so natural and, and it really just flows and I can't put the pen down because I still write longhand but um and then other days I can't seem to put two words together so um it's funny old thing uh which i'm sure you understand but i think that uh sometimes i just need to look at my bookshelf and, and think look you've done this before you can do it again and you'll just push my way through it
0: um, I'm fascinated that you write in longhand. Who do you give it to, or do you type it up, or is somebody? Is there some long-suffering person going? What does that say?
3: <laughs> the person in the cupboard. Yeah. Um, no, I I type it up myself. So I write long, oh, okay. write it in longhand, and then I and then I type it up as I go along, and then I edit as I transcribe. So it's it's like I'm immediately getting a second draft as I go along but i just find it for me a lot more creative to write longhand i like visually the feel of pen on paper and um that i can see my story in my head and i'm kind of just painting the picture as i write but and then when i type it feels quite mechanical um like i'm using a different part of my my brain that doesn't feel quite creative so that's my reasoning for it but um yeah no i it, it done all myself. I don't have anyone locked away.
0: Listen, <laughs> <laughs> well, it works for you clearly. Uh, uh, so, so you've got the novel out, but also now there's a couple of things that fascinates about, about you, Cecilia Hearn, big in Germany. Uh, <laughs> describe your describe your your life in Germany because they love you, don't they?
3: Oh, they love They do. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, they're just very, very supportive, I'd say, and I just get very unique unique, I have very unique experiences there. I mean, one guy asked me to sign his arm because he was going to turn my signature into a tattoo. And um, years later, he came back to me just in, in in October, I met him again, and he had actually tattooed my signature, my autograph to his arm, which was very, very interesting. Um, so yeah, they kind of go above and beyond. <laughs>
0: I mean, that doesn't seem like a kind of a novelist's life. Like, you know, <laughs> people are going to. Not,
3: I mean, novelists to... are not very rock stars. so that's probably the most exciting thing, you know, that happens. <laughs> um, but no, they're very, they're very passionate, very understanding, and they love their books. And you know, Germany is a great place for events. You know, they they want to go and hear um, people read for hours and hours and hours, which doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. So it's uh, they're they're lovely and supportive, but kind of crazy to be honest. <laughs>
0: And do you do you sit there and listen to a German person read your book or is it simultaneously translated? How does it work when you do? Because they do do like you, you read for 20 minutes, don't you? I mean, it's a long time in Germany.
3: Yeah, no, it's a long time. The events could be, you know, over two hours long between speaking with the translator. And um yeah, and then usually you travel with an actor as well who will read read long passages for a long amount of time. So I just sit there and. Wait, it's really very easy gig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just listening, listening out for the word Alice. Oh, yes, it's my book. Yes,
3: sometimes you're like, you're trying to, it's like a game I play. I'm trying to figure out where they are and what part part they're on. You know, it's kind of fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you speak German at all? I presume you can speak a little bit now. I mean, I should be able
3: to, I should be able to speak. It's been almost 20 years. Um. But the problem with having translators is that everyone's speaking English to me. So um, yes, I speak a little but but not enough to actually do a whole event in German. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the German thing, that's kind of weird and exciting, but then you have this fabulous uh, success in, in America uh, where you're working with production companies and producing things. Uh, tell us about how Roar came back. This was your book of short stories and, yeah. and Nicole Kidman. How, how, how did she find you? How did that all happen?
3: Yeah, well, as you said, I have a production company, so I actively try to get my my books made into TV or film, if, when appropriate. So I was working on War for a really, really long time, and I was delighted to work with um, um, Nicole Kidman, who's Blossom Films, and Bruna Papandrea of um, Made Up Stories, and they both teamed up together on Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers and projects like that. So they were, you know, amazing to work with. And it's an anthology of short stories, so we have eight different episodes on Apple TV plus at the moment now. And uh, Nicole Kidman stars in one of them. There's also the brilliant Cynthia Erivo, there's Mira Sayal, Sayal, uh, Merritt Weaver, uh, Cynthia, and I said that already, Alison Brie. Uh, There's a fantastic um, cast and there's a different actress in each episode, different story about women in different kind of transitional moments in their life where they're finding that inner roar. So I loved working on that. I, I, I just love seeing my stories come to life. It's always, a, I think it's a really enjoyable thing to be involved in and to see, just to collaborate with other people and see different interpretations.
0: But how do you manage it? Because obviously you can't kind of, you can't say to Nicole Kidman, well, hang on, yeah, could you hold that though? I'm just finishing a book. I'll be with you in a minute. I mean, how do you juggle it all?
3: Well, I think that's the word, you know, it, it definitely is a juggle. and And I always describe, I always describe TV as like a WhatsApp group of trying to get a group of friends together because it's like no one's you know everyone's like can we meet up on a Saturday for dinner and then it goes on all the way to from December till June you can't get anyone who's free it takes so long to get anything made um <laughs> trying to get all these people and then you know as it gets closer people start to drop out of the of the night out and it doesn't <laughs> start to kind of change um and that's that's TV it just takes such a really really long amount of time but um but I just have to fit it in with the books and because I enjoy it so much, that's a joy, I, I really I really don't mind at all. But especially with America, it's most it's at night so I can be writing by day and then, then Zooming by night.
0: She never sleeps, ladies and gentlemen. She (laughs) never sleeps. Uh, In a thousand different ways is the new one from Cecilia Hearn. Cecilia, lovely, lovely, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Take care of yourself now. Bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day a comedy writer, an amazing comedy actor, but of course also a stand up. He now returns to his stand up roots with his biggest tour to date. It's called Underdog. It starts golf in the autumn. His name is Tom Davis. Hello, Tom. Hello, Graham. How you doing, mate? You all right? <laughs> yeah, I'm really good. So it's fair to say this is a, a return to, to stand up for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've had a while out. I sort of, it was the the thing I started out is how I got into this industry was, uh, was through stand up uh, from the building sites, Graham. And uh, it was my step into the Industry we call show and uh, yeah it's sort of a comeback now it's sort of yeah it's been a joy actually I'm, I'm just in a work in progress stage at the moment um, which is I think probably the most fun bit because you're sort of getting out on stage and you're messing around with stuff and seeing what works and what doesn't it's, it's joyous.
0: Now I looked at your tour dates to see where you were going in the autumn and I saw all the you know the sold out ones you're doing at the moment the work in progress ones like how work in progress. Is it? I mean, how? like, how Do you have nights where you're going to go? No, apparently none of that worked. Uh, yeah, won't be doing any of that for for the big money.
2: I did. I, I've had a couple of um, nights like that, Graham, where uh, you are. Uh, it's 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 something quite. I mean, that you know yourself. It's something quite enjoy about about throwing yourself off that cliff of going. This might work. This might not. Like, there's there's stuff in there that I'm sort of you're quietly confident about. You you, you sort of quite quickly can build the sort of the structure to it is, but I, I really enjoy the stuff that sometimes does feel like, oh, that's going to need a bit more work. And then you're like, <laughs> you know, three or four gigs down the line, you go, oh no, no, it never will. Uh, I sure, uh, I should definitely throw that uh, down the toilet. But um, a lot of, you know, it, it, it's just a progression. And, and, you know, with the work in progress, it's just getting that confidence of getting out and, and getting on stage and, and doing more than 20, 25 minutes as a club comedian. That was my background sort of having, yeah, just going into sort of an hour and 20, an hour and a half, which is, Sort of a long time to be talking to people, so you've got to keep it interesting and you've got to keep stuff going. And and sometimes that's crowd dependent. I was in Bristol last last night. It was absolutely Bristol was incredible. It was really pumping. Bristol It was amazing.
0: And um, and tell me this: it's called Underdog. Does it have a theme, or is it just you know Tom Davis being funny?
2: It does kind of have a theme. I think it, the, the, the idea is just through most of my life sort of feeling a bit of an underdog really I sort of left school without any qualifications and, and worked on building sites and sort of lumped about for about 20 years trying to find my calling in life and at the age of 32 I sort of I, f- I stumbled upon stand-up and I'd had sort of so many letdowns and so many false you know just just never really felt that I had any real direction in my life and and stand-up and then sort of auditioning and, ad- and sort of acting it just felt that being a loser for sort of most of my life before that had set me up to be quite bulletproof. I I didn't, failure would never became a sort of big worry of mine. And actually sort of sometimes being an underdog, sometimes being someone that people in life don't really sort of think is going to get anywhere. is actually quite quite a refreshing thing, you know, it's nice to sort of, for people to be surprised. People constantly are that I'm still in this, you know, mates that I've grown (laughs) up with, but I'm still in this industry and I'm making a pound (laughs) note. So uh, yeah, it's quite a joyous thing.
0: But you're more than in this industry. I mean, you're really successful. If you, if you are kind of, you know, that thing. I also, you know, people are bred for failure. <laughs> I was raised for failure. Uh, how how are you? How are you coping with success? Does it suit you?
2: Uh, I try to stay as humble as I can. I, 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 <laughs> I, 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 look, I, love. It's it's a you know it's an amazing pinchy thing when people watch your shows or turn up to see you live. That's that's incredible. I, but I, I think it's surrounding yourself like if, if I start to get a little bit dizzy with success my my wife will soon bring me down to earth um, as will my parents and uh most people around me uh I think it's um and I, I, I think it's a good thing in life no matter how successful you get is to still try and play life a bit like you know like an underdog like someone you know come into every day like you you're not gonna win all the time and I think that's quite a refreshing way of being
0: do you still do your own DIY or do you now get a man in <laughs> Uh so you have been talking to my
2: wife we've had a man come this morning to do the windows in my house um, I, you've changed I, I I try and pass it forward I try and have someone come in uh, I, you know what I, I tried to do little bits of deal I got halfway through doing the patio through lockdown and realised it was number one I was too old I think I was 40 and my back was starting to go so I had to get a couple of young bucks in to come and do it that was kind of sort of soul destroying watching these sort of 20 somethings uh, thrown around paving slabs and i haven't really got that in me anymore um at 43 but uh, no i still i'll lend my hand down again ground to, to little bits here and there always always conscious uh, that i might have to go back to that in later life
0: but listen uh well let's talk about the curse so i remind people so underdog is the tour uh tickets yeah. available at big dot now the the curse starts this thursday 10 o'clock four. then it'll be on all four uh full confession tom I didn't see season one. Right. Right. But I I watched King Gary. I love King Gary. So I kind of thought, I know Tom Davis. You know, comedy actors, they have their shtick and they'll do that. you like the Meryl Streep of comedy actors. (laughs) I mean, this character, where did this character, did did the character kind of prompt the whole show or did you develop the, the character to be in this show? I, I,
2: it was a, the show was something that we developed um, on the basis sort of we'd come together with guys from people just do nothing and it's sort of a, this sort of ensemble of misfits really have sort of found themselves in this industry sort of from, from sort of unusual uh, unusual background uh, but the character was very much like you know my my background was was building sites as I've said and, and and being in pubs and and there was sort of a lot of these old boys that I was surrounded with who would always have a story and Mick's voice came from an old boy that used to. He was a sort of bit of a villain, like an awful villain. And I remember he, he told me a story once when uh, I was, uh, he <laughs> robbed a post office and uh, I'd made a getaway in a van and I tried to get under this bridge and I got the van stuck under the bridge. And I sat there and I could hear the sirens coming and I thought, that's it, mate, you're done. Just take your medicine, you're going to have to do a stretch. And I said, why didn't you get out of the van, Bernie? And he said, that's a good idea. I should have wished you were there at the time. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so, so, yeah, the voice and, and the mannerisms and the character, and also, you know, I think when I came into this industry, I was very conscious of trying to play people that weren't just essentially King Gary, trying to play characters that were a bit different and, and pushing myself as an actor. I, I never had any formal training or I just sort of, you know, my training was really watching things like The Fast Show and, and Will Ferrell movies and whatever, and, and so... King Gary was kind of a, the closest, I guess, I've ever played as as a character to myself, and and the joy I get from you know like the Morgana show and, and you know uh, Paddington or whatever of creating a, a character and a voice and, and sort of those mannerisms is is the joyous thing of sort of in what I do really it's sort of becoming someone else for a few hours.
0: And how do, I mean, I can't imagine how did people react at the the, the first time they met him, like what, at the read or whatever? Did people just <laughs> well, lose it? We him did it. We did it
2: we did an audition process and Ema Kenny, who's fantastic. I mean, she's just, she's amazing. When she came into the cast as a, as a part of Natasha and I started doing that voice and that character, her face was just utter shock. I've known Ema for years and she was like, what is this? Um, I think at first people thought, you know, are you actually, are you going to, it's a big move. It's a bold move to, to, to you know, just not just the character, but the look. I was, <laughs> uh, i work really closely with uh, jody williams on the wig sort of that sort of uh balding guy who's sort of got a comb over trying to hold on to his hair and um yeah and sort of every, every part of it I, I i love that building of the look the clothing um i mean the clothing in the second series is a little bit more uh yeah a bit more edgy at times there's a lot of speedos and what essentially a hot pants but um uh <laughs> it's uh it's a yeah it, it really is it's uh it's a fun character to do. But yeah, I think when we're in... Actually, you know what, Graham? When we, were, we filmed all the series two in Spain, and the look on the Spanish crew's faces when I first did that voice and I first came out of my trailer was like, what is going... <laughs> what is this? <laughs> did people really talk <laughs> like that?
0: Uh, that Did you always know at season two you were going to give yourselves a holiday and go to Spain?
2: Uh, if I'm... Like, I kind of thought, you know what would be... Because when you're filming stuff, it's it's amazing. But it's kind of nice if you could be in one location because it means you can do sort of nine to five. And a bit of me was like, if Mick's in prison, it means my days will be nine to five. Uh, and I, I could be home to sort of put my daughter to bed. And then everyone else was like, we're definitely moving it to Spain. So, spoiler alert, I was like, well, yeah, I think Mick needs to break out of prison then. Um, and uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to let him go to Spain without me. And, uh, yeah, but it was always like the Costa del crime. It was just such an interesting time, sort of uh, the non-extradition, these... Sort of almost like a Wild West of Europe, really, for the '80s, and and it's sort of, there's nothing really funnier than the fish out of water theme that, that you've got across this.
0: Uh, well, I'm going to go back and watch season one now because I love, I've love. i only watched two episodes of this one, but it's just great, and you are brilliant in it. Uh, Tom Davis, uh, Underdog is uh, the tour. That kicks off in the autumn. You can find dates and tickets and all of that at bigtomdavis.com, and The Curse, which we were just talking about, that kicks off, season two kicks off on Thursday at 10 o'clock on Channel 4, and then you can watch the whole thing on all four. Uh, good luck to you, sir, and thank you very much for joining us this morning. Do appreciate well, thank it. you. Grammar pleasure as always. Thank you so much, mate. Stay right there. Niamh Alders on our screens in Malpractice, a brand-new medical drama on ITV. But first...
4: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm very well. What do you bring us today on World Earth Day?
4: Well, I have got for you today some crispy mixed vegetable... mixed vegetable pakoras that came out all mixed up, which is funny because they're called mixed vegetable pakoras. Mixed, yeah, <laughs> mixed vegetable
0: pakoras. I have to say, normally... Yeah, you, Martha Collison, are, you know, queen of presentation. Everything's just so, everything's just, These pakoras look like they have a life of their own. <laughs> they look like they could not be tamed. They look quite wild.
4: Pakoras are wild. I mean, for those of you who are not sure what a pakora is, it's essentially, it's in the same family as a bhaji. So it's got all of those lovely vegetables, deep fried, become all crispy. But literally, you put them into the oil and they do what they want to do. <laughs> but I quite like them with all their little crispy bits.
0: No, I'm saying they look like something Jurassic Park or something. (laughs) They could attack. They could attack. Uh, so now this is, so World Earth Day, uh, There are there other World Earth Day recipes in the weekend newspaper?
4: I believe there's a couple. This is the one by Ellie Kirsch and Ellie Pear. Um, she writes every week, too good to waste. So pretty much every week in an Ellie column is World Earth Day because she's all about loving your leftovers and reducing food waste. But this is a particularly good recipe because you can use most of the vegetables that you've got knocking about in your fridge or and any potatoes in your potato bag or wherever you keep your potatoes um all of those can go in and they'll become something crispy and moorish and really good on the side of a curry
0: i mean that is such a good idea because you know there's so there's always like half a cauliflower knocking around or you know two carrots looking a bit (laughs) yes so uh yeah that's a great idea very good and is it because uh, you see are we deep fat frying this
4: we are we are doing a little bit of deep fat frying quite exciting. See, that
0: scares me. That scares me. I always imagine the fire brigade can't be far away if I'm, if I'm deep fat frying. It is a little bit
4: scary. When I was teaching myself to cook when I was a teenager, the one, the two things I wasn't allowed to do in the kitchen was deep fat fry or make caramel. They were my parents' instructions. Anything else was fair game, but those two things were off limits because they are a little risky. So make sure you've got either supervision or you've read all of the instructions and you've got your fire blanket ready, but you'll be ready. It's not It's not as hard as it sounds. Yeah.
0: And also, uh, ventilate the room, I would say. Otherwise, very sensitive fire alarms will will go off. Yes. I remember, uh, I think I was, it was something crazy. Like, I think I was braising tofu or something and the fire brigade arrived. (laughs) 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 That's some intense (laughs) braising. I know, <laughs> I like tofu You've got to think if it was a leg of lamb you might have, but No, <laughs> yeah. tofu, the fire brigade rocked up, it's still nice to see them uh, Right, Pekora uh, Talk us through it Martha, how do we start? So we're
4: going to start by making the batter, the deep frying is actually the hardest part of this recipe, the rest of it you'll be pleased to know is quite easy, so we start with this really simple batter which is made of gram flour which is a chickpea flour, which has a really nice nuttiness and makes the whole recipe gluten free as well, if that's something that people are keeping their eyes open for, so we mix it the gram flour with a little bit of sea salt and enough water to make a really thick batter. Then we turn our attention to our vegetables. So we're going to take a potato. You want to peel it and then grate it and then squeeze out as much of the water as you can because when you're deep frying something, you want it to be as dry as possible when it goes into the fryer so it gets lovely and crispy so these don't have that dense middle. That goes into the batter. And then I've added some spinach and some red onion and a chopped green chilli, but this would be the stage to go... Oh, I've got some carrots or some parsnips or a bag of lettuce that needs kind of to go into something to make it have a bit more life. So this is the time where you raid the fridge, find the vegetables that need using up and they all go into the batter, add enough water to make sure everything is well coated. And then they are going to go into the deep fat fryer. So if you've got a fryer, you can use that. If not, a pan of oil on your stove. Get it to a kind of a medium heat and you can test. Them. Don't test this with your finger. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm clutching my pearls. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, she's heating she's, she's the
4: oil. Oh no. So I would recommend put it in a cast iron pan. If you've got like uh, one of the Le Creuset ones or something deep like that. So make sure nothing's going to splash out. That's a wise place to start. Just get yourself well Do set up. Do it in the garden. Do it in the garden.
0: <laughs> set, it, Do it the barbecue. set it up in the garage. Set it up in the garage. <laughs> Do it in
4: there. You only need about four centimetres of oil. Because I think it's a common misconception with deep fat frying that you literally need a whole pan full of oil. But that's not the case. You just need enough that they can... that's what they called it deep they said deep (laughs) is in the
0: title (laughs) (laughs)
4: deep enough but it doesn't need to be a swimming pool of oil (laughs) so you want about four centimeters in your pan and then you drop a little bit of your batter in when it's come to a medium on the hob and it should sink and then rise within a couple of seconds then you know your oil is the right level if it's too cold it will just sink and it will stay down there and if it's too hot it will sizzle too much and burn so then you can adjust your temperature then we're just going to kind of divide our batter using spoons into eight little balls push them into the the oil and they take about six minutes to cook turning them regularly and then get them out drain them on some kitchen paper to absorb up some of that oil give them a sprinkle of salt and then serve them with a little bit of chutney or yogurt raita would be really nice and they make a really good start if you're having a curry night and they're just it's just nice to have done them from scratch people won't really believe it they they believe you when you make a curry from scratch but you know your own pachoras
0: well i think the good thing is if they're as a starter then at least you end up with just some charred, burnt lumps coming out of the thing. At least people have something else to eat.
4: <laughs> that, is, that is a good point. They're, yeah, they're just an accompaniment to the meal. And if they all go to pieces in your fryer, then you just a little sprinkle, a crispy sprinkle over the top, like scraps in a fish and chip shop. <laughs> it will taste good. It will taste great.
0: <laughs> but tell me this. So when you chop the onions, maybe you're chopping them kind of like, you know, like strips of onion or does it matter will it all stick together in that is that batter thick enough to hold anything
4: the batter is quite thick but you kind of you want kind of strings of whatever you're putting in so when you grate your potato you get those long strips of potato you do the same with your carrot and so with your onion I would kind of I cut it in half and then cut it into like those little tiny moons but as thin as you can so it kind of really gets amongst the other ingredients
0: okay and the and uh, yeah the temperature of the oil still worries me <laughs> <I'm> thinking, <laughs> I, I just I just know that if I do this I will it'll be too hot and it'll just be yeah anyway there you go but and if you turn it down it so the heat does it take a long time for the heat to reduce from oil or will it stay hot for a long time
4: it shouldn't take too long particularly if you've not overfilled that pan if you just got the four centimeters in there it shouldn't take too long to cool and also once you put your pakoras in it lowers the temperature of the oil oil anyway so you should be fine it won't take too long
0: okay <laughs> you don't sound elite. very
4: convinced <laughs> it's a project deep fat frying is a project but once you've mastered it it's quite a fun little treat
0: well it, um, it oh no what would happen if you put these in an air fryer would nothing happen
4: see i haven't actually tried that i think they potentially would work air fryers are not quite as good with batter rich foods because they kind of circulate the air so viciously that it might just <laughs> go everywhere and be very messy oh, well. But you, you feel free to try it.
0: <laughs> yes, if anybody at home wants to put this in an air fryer and mess up their house, uh, we'd, love, we'd love to hear I would actually happened. quite
4: like to see what happens.
0: Oh, I would like to see what happens because it's so much easier than an air fryer. It's not. It's less scary. Uh, remember, the recipes past and present can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub. That's on the Waitrose website. And, and, of course, you can also see that World Earth Day recipe uh, in the weekend newspaper and you can could see it visually. You can see how wild and woolly it was if you go to our socials at Virgin Radio UK. I will talk to you in the morning. Thank you very much, Martha, for all of that. Take care. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Martha Collison, show chef. Hello, hello. Happy Sunday to you.
4: Hello, happy Sunday. I have to say the shade of the shade of pink is the, di- is the dish today, not my face from <laughs> cooking it up in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> no, yes, it, it it, it's to do with decoration <laughs> of, of the dish. Um, now, so uh, talk us through, uh, 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 yes, I was thinking tart or cake, but it's actually a trade bake. It's a huge thing.
4: It is. It's a huge tray bake. And this is from my column, The Best. But it's kind of the best tray bake. It's a little bit, it's a little bit vague because obviously all tray bakes are delicious. But this was one trying to find a particularly good recipe for either a coronation street party or something like that that has just the right level of kind of impressiveness. Because I feel like it can be a bit embarrassing if you go to a party or a street party and you've made something too fancy and elaborate. But equally, it's embarrassing if you just turn up with something really, really simple. So you need, it's quite hard to find that middle ground.
0: I'm thinking Rice crispy squares.
4: <laughs> you want to impress, but you want to be humble. It has to be satisfying and it has to be easy to slice. And that's why we've gone for tray bake rather than a whole Bakewell tart or a whole something else. Because the beauty of a tray bake is you can cut it up into 20 individual pieces, all the same size. You're not going to get any complaints about someone having a bigger piece. It's just perfect for sharing.
0: And everyone knows the name Bakewell tart. Uh, what is a Bakewell tart?
4: So a Bakewell tart is... A shortcrust pastry tart filled with an almond frangipan filling and a layer of jam at the bottom, which is traditionally either raspberry or cherry, because both of those fruits work really well with almond. They actually share a flavour compound, a little bit of science, which is why they taste so good together: almond and cherry, or almond and raspberry. Really? Yeah. Is that something that? Wow. Well,
0: I, something... I mean, I won't, que- I won't question you. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking that as read. Something yes? okay. in the
4: genetic makeup, which is why even cocktails that have almond, like amaretto liqueur and cherries, just They just have a real lovely deliciousness about them. And then you would top a Bakewell tart. There's kind of two ways of doing it, either with that thick layer of icing and a little glacé cherry on top, or sometimes people just go with the flaked almonds. So I've I've taken both of those ideas and I've merged them all together onto the top. So we've got a layer of thick icing, the toasted almonds and the cherries on there as well.
0: Now, what's the story about glacé cherries? Is there a thing where they, they stay in your system? Do you have you ever oh my heard gosh. this?
4: That they stay in your this. system
0: for years.
4: I mean, I've just eaten about four in the kitchen, so now I'm regretting <laughs> that decision.
0: <laughs> I've, made, I've maybe I've just made that up, but uh, I remember that when when I worked in restaurants, we always classic, you know, for the glass cherries that you use in cocktails. Wow. Uh, we were also, oh, don't eat them because they stain your insides for the rest of your life. Like, who's looking? Who cares? But anyway, I wonder how go. they
4: found that out. You know,
0: <laughs> presumably <laughs> an autopsy. <Yeah. laughs> what? What's this? Oh, it's 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 a classic cherry yeah. from nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll have Magic a lot of those inside
4: me if they ever open me up. <laughs>
0: she's half woman, half glass of cherry. (laughs) Right, I am still chatting to Martha Collison, show chef, and she has a tray bake for the ages in front of us, and she's about to share exactly how we can make it. Uh, Go, off you go, how do we start?
4: So, we're going to start, this is a tray bake that has pastry as well as cake, so it's a little bit more complex than a basic tray bake, but I think it's worth it, and you can use shop-bought pastry if you don't fancy making it from scratch but we'll start with the pastry where we're literally taking butter which is cold flour blitzing it together until it is breadcrumby, and then adding a bit of water to make a nice soft dough and it's a regular short crust pastry you don't need it to be sweet because there's so much sugar <laughs> in the rest of the cake that this is quite a nice little savory relief and then we're going to line a tray bake tin so a nice big rectangle one with a layer of pastry and you can either just do the base or you can do the base and sides and make it like a big tart if that's what you prefer that goes into the fridge to chill for a a little bit, and then we're going to blind bake it, which is when you scrunch up a piece of tin foil or not, sorry, not tin foil, scrunch up a piece of baking parchment, put that inside, and then fill it with baking beans or rice. It goes into the oven, and it means the pastry will be cooked through, will have no soggy bottoms when we come to fill it with our fillings. No. And then taking, no. <laughs> we don't want that, That is, no. a... that would be a firm no-go with your street parties, <laughs> with all of your neighbours, oh a soggy bottom, that'd be tragic. <laughs> um, we're then going to take a jar of jam, so I've got this Waitrose Morello Cherry Preserve, which is a really nice one because it's not super sweet, it's got a lovely kind of sour cherry tartness to it. Spread half of that in the base of your cooked pastry then we are making this almond filling so whisking together butter caster sugar eggs ground almonds a little bit of almond extract in there as well to really boost up that flavor flour whisk that till it's nice and smooth then we're spreading that over the top of the jam Baking that for 25 minutes, and then once it's come out and cooled, we're decorating it with a thick layer. I just love it when you have a baked tart and your teeth kind of sink in through the thick (laughs) layer of icing. Toothsome, I think, is what they call that. So (laughs) you've got to make that's
0: a good phrase. I like that. I know. I
4: love it. So a nice toothsome thick layer of fondant icing on the top, and then you position your little glace cherries so that each little slice will have one just in the middle of it. So I think it's 20 cherries you can fit over the top. And then a little sprinkle of ground almonds, or not ground almonds, a little sprinkle of toasted flaked almonds, which you can buy in Waitrose, as ready toasted to make your life even easier.
0: (laughs) I see, I I love ready, ready to, or you could just buy a bakel tart. No, (laughs) Brian, stop that. (laughs) That way madness lies. No. <laughs>
4: the satisfaction would not be the same.
0: <laughs> <And I'm, laughs>
4: the guilt, the guilt would eat you up if you serve that up to your street party friends and claim that you've made it yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I, and uh, and it, so this, it, and the tray bake, and so you can bring it, and how long does it last? You... Do you have to store it in an airtight tin or do you eat it quite quickly? How does it work? I think the
4: good thing about almond-based cakes is that they're really moist. So a Bakewell tart will last at least three to four days and just doesn't need to necessarily be an airtight tin. Just covering it up with a piece of foil should suffice.
0: Well, if you fancy making this, uh, you can get the recipe by heading to waitrose.com showchef. You'll find it there, along with all the recipes prepared by Martha. And if you'd like to see it, and why wouldn't you want to see it, for it is a feast, a feast for the eyes as well as the mouth, uh, then you can check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, thank you very much, Martha. I'll talk to you next week. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Now tonight on ITV1 at 9 o'clock, uh, there's a start of a brand new series called Malpractice. It's a twisty-turny medical drama. It's very tense. Uh, the full series will be available to watch on ITVX right after the first episode airs on ITV1. The star of Malpractice joins us now, Neve Algar. Hello. Hi, Graham Norton. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Hey, it's, I'm so pleased to meet you because uh, you are one of those people. You've now been in so many things. You know that thing when you keep seeing someone in something, and you kind of think, "Oh, I better learn their name. Who are they? I keep seeing them." And that's you. It's it's such a time to be Neve Algar. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, talk to us about malpractice, Doctor Lucinda Edwards. Uh, she's not just a straightforward doctor, is she?
5: She is not. She's an incredibly talented doctor. She's a she's a brilliant doctor. She's someone who finds herself on the worst shift of her life when she is tasked with choosing between a gunshot patient that comes into the lobby and an opiate overdose. And it ends in the death of a, the overdose death. And so a medical investigation is opened up and ensues a cat and mouse chase of this uh, investigation unfolding as does Lucinda's life.
0: That's, and that's just and,
5: the first 10 minutes I haven't given away <laughs> anything
0: yeah. I've only seen I've only seen episode one and like it, it, honestly it's such it's really well paced because you've got kind of, to because I know there's four more episodes and I'm like what the hell's going to happen <laughs> like wow like come on so at uh, the end of episode one is fantastic it's really really good um, and it comes it's very uh, posh credentials this is uh, world productions who do line of duty and things
5: Yes. So, you know, it was brought to you by the makers of Line of Duty, Vigil, Bodyguards. So it's it's intense, nail-biting stuff that world productions who bring you these incredible shows are so amazing at doing. So, yeah, it was. And Philip Barantini, who's our director, whose film Boiling Point is, is equally as intense and gripping. And with that, with that you know, a team put together with, with that kind of ingredients, you can only imagine that. You'll have to get and, the kettle on.
0: <laughs> and what, watching it, I was I was constantly being kind of reminded in my head that oh, this was written by a doctor, which is slightly worrying. You kind of think, wow, this is clearly closer to the truth than any of us want to think it is.
5: Yeah, Grace of Foriata, um created the script for this story, and I remember getting sent the script, and I was like, okay, right, either this woman like is incredible at a, being able to depict what's you know going on inside an eighty or she works she's worked there and and grace has 10 years experience working in the NHS and so this is coming from real life accounts of you know different procedures that she was witness to or different events and so you know the the authenticity of the procedures and i suppose depicting what it's what it's like to be a doctor within such a high pressure situation of making decisions and time being you know incredibly is is kind of like the the villain in the story really um, and she's she's created this, this story that like when I when I picked it up I was on the bus and I was <laughs> I'm really bad at like car sickness and I read the entire thing I didn't feel sick so I was like this is a good sign of a good script
0: and, but also I thought what she got really well was that A&E is just like somewhere else to work in that you know, people don't get on. You know, there are different personalities and there are tensions and frictions. Whereas I think Any is often depicted as this place where you know we're just one big team trying to help everybody, and it, it's got to be more complicated than that.
5: Yeah, well, it, I suppose where this story with malpractice is that it comes post pandemic, so you have a team that has been pushed to the limits both physically and both emotionally, and you know it's so timely as it comes out now, given you know the. The strikes that are happening and, and the fact that, you know, th- the situation that medical staff find themselves in is that it's feeling, that feeling of un- being undervalued, underpaid, under resourced and how that would eventually take a, such a taxing toll on someone. And so, yeah, you you definitely get an impression of the, almost like a family structure within the hospital that is slowly being, you know, being really tested.
0: And Neve, what sort of actor are you? Did you go deep in A E for you know months or did you just pop a stethoscope around your neck and sort
5: you know, of <laughs> just, just Fired myself into it, hope for the best. <laughs> no, I, uh, I I was really, really privileged and fortunate enough to to shadow in in a hospital in, in England and just be a flyer on the wall and witness kind of firsthand what that feeling would be like to to be working in an A and E, but also Honestly, it's just to get my head around the script because when you're in A and E as a patient, your priorities and I suppose your view and how things operate is it's a very kind of personal experience. But you're never, unless you're you know you work in that situation, you never have uh, I mean, an opportunity to look at it from the point of view of a doctor. And so yeah, I got to to shadow and and literally just be in awe of how incredible these people are that are able to solve problems. You've just
0: sorry, sorry. You've just reminded me of. uh, Do you watch that show? uh, The other two. Have you seen that? No. Oh, it's it's like a comedy about uh, these brother and sister of a, a kind of Justin Bieber thing, and uh, one of them is an actor, and uh, he's in a he's in a hospital shadowing thing, and it turns out everyone's an actor, everyone's shadowing, tr- everyone's trying to find a real nurse or a real doctor. Well, that was it. Everyone... I was
5: on the I was on a shift, and I'm wearing scrubs, and I had like a lanyard around my neck, and the only difference between me and like say a junior doctor that was there, mine just said visitor, and someone like not, tapped me on the shoulder and I'm like, sorry, can we get a signature for this? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not meant to be here and I remember their eyes widening going sorry what I'm like no no, no I'm just I'm just I'm not, I'm not here <laughs> plus yeah. I have like a fear of hospitals, so it was a way of trying to get past that
0: <laughs> I love the, way that the show's called malpractice and it caused malpractice <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> no it didn't it didn't no, nothing bad happened tell me this Dave. a lot of people a lot of actors uh, you know in Ireland when they kind of think right that's what I want to do they immediately come to London but you didn't you, you stayed and trained in Ireland is that right
5: yeah, I was, in, I was in Dublin for a bit. I was studying design and kind of did everything in my willpower to not do it and uh, started kind of basically doing as many kind of courses that I could. So I didn't get any proper formal training and I began to learn on the job by just getting myself involved in as many short films and music videos and then eventually landed a lead role in a, in a feature film that then got me to London and I've been seven years here. Yeah. Oh
0: wow. Okay. I know. Uh, but you still work back in Ireland a lot, right?
5: I do. the The last job I was on, um, it was with, with a film with uh, Florence Pugh called Wonder. So that was oh, so
0: good. A it is out. so good. Great book, great book, and uh, fabulous film. Really, you and you are brilliant in it. Um, where was that film? Because it's beautiful.
5: Yeah, it was filmed in the Wicklow Mountains, so it was kind of around Glendalough. Uh, in the mountains in the mountains there in Wicklow <laughs> you know you know yourself. you just get up onto those mountains and just show you yeah. go back Ge- in
0: time Geography Geography is Neve's passion
5: <laughs> You just get into a car at four in the morning
0: <laughs> yeah, You just got out Yeah here we are uh, So then you get to London but now you know you've worked in the States Was Raised by Wolves filmed in the States?
5: No we we shot it in South Africa yeah oh okay yeah so we, we shot there uh, first year was like three years ago and then the second year we did it pretty much during the lockdown so we couldn't leave the country <laughs>
0: we, were, wow. we were there if people don't know if people don't know this is a big sci-fi drama it's Ridley Scott right
5: yeah it was uh, Ridley Scott's kind of uh, TV baby that he debuted with um, as a television show. <laughs> the man's been around, <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, and it was kind of where the mullet began. It's now, see, now the mullets are really popular, but back then we were all uh, sporting these incredible <laughs> haircuts.
0: <laughs> and am I right in thinking he directed a couple of episodes?
5: Yeah, he he directed the first two, so he'd set it up. He kind of set up the world, I and mean- he yeah.
0: That must have been amazing to to kind of work with him. Thinking of the things that he has done,
5: yeah. Like before, literally, we just got cast, and then I got this lookbook that he had hand drawn, of kind of visually how he imagined the world, and so it was like this Bible, um, of kind of like Ridley's Bible of visually how he was going to present it, and and kind of like a, a comic book, you know, backstory of the entire series.
0: Wow, because I mean, doing something like you know, Mount Practice is a big ITV show, or doing the you know, the Channel Four shows like the Virtues you've done, they're on one level. But what's it like then dealing with an American production? Are, are they much more kind of thorough screen testing and all that sort of stuff?
5: Yeah, we did a lot of we did a lot of kind of visual screen testing of you know, uh, with a sci-fi show, and it's you know, it's creating a, a very original content I suppose the focus was on trying to find something that you know resonated with audience but also created this this new world that we hadn't seen before so visually there was so many tests that went into it and it, it like Ridley works with uh, Janty Yates who's his, his long-term costume designer and just to see that process and to be around that entire team is it, it, like it's incredible because they've you know they've done Alien they've, they've done the entire of his career, kind of together. So it was a really eye-opening experience just to see the level of kind of detail that goes into such a large production. And it's, yeah,
0: <laughs> and and in something big like that, did you feel heard? Did you feel like you could go, well, this is awful. I, I'm not wearing that, or you know, could, could or uh, you know, what what about if I did this? Did, were you able to get that sort of interaction?
5: Yeah, there was. I, I definitely felt like it was in, it was really collaborative, but also. The resources that you get, so you could kind of suggest. I was like, "Oh, well, I would would love to actually do that stunt," and they're like, "Great, we'll set you up with a trainer and we'll start with armory training on on Tuesday." And so the the kind of the the availability for resources is kind of abundant, and you're you're spoilt for choice. And I love kind of being given the opportunity, I suppose, to learn a new skill that I'm not going to get in in you know anywhere else in life unless I go out and pursue it myself. So yeah, you it's it is incredibly collaborative and you're like what Ridley said is like I create the world, you just play in it. So your character is kind of like your identity. So, you know, flesh it out. And and so I suppose you bring in elements of working with Shea Meadows, who's all about the backstory, all about really thinking thoroughly about where your characters come from, where it's going and having, you know, an extensive knowledge of of everything including the stories so you for me it's always, it's been an incredible linear kind of journey to start with Shane and then you know work with someone like Ridley because you you're applying your skills throughout your career
0: And now you're a fully qualified doctor. That's worked out really well. Uh, That's brilliant. Yeah, very good. (laughs) Not for long, I suspect. Uh, Malpractice, in the name. uh, Malpractice kicks off tonight at nine o'clock on ITV1. And, oh, I forgot to ask. So I haven't seen episode five, is this a self-contained story? Or is it going to, like, will we be annoyed and going to go, oh, now I've got to wait for a second season?
5: you will definitely not be annoyed um and the world in which grace is created has the possibility of potential more series um but you will definitely not be annoyed at the end of the series you'll probably be stressed um <laughs> <laughs> so we're not annoyed no it's a, it's yeah i'm so proud of it and i i'm looking forward to yeah, sitting down tonight and, and watching it 9 o'clock
0: <laughs> 9 o'clock and then the whole thing it'll be available to watch on ITVX after this uh, Niamh Valgan thank you very much for coming to join us good luck with everything and I'll talk to you soon take thank care you, now Green. bye Yes, we are playing our competition word up your chance to win a Graham Norton with a Waitrose gift box including a reusable drinks cup Waitrose boot champagne salted caramel truffles aged balsamic vinegar Medina lots of great things uh, basically uh, we're going to be asking someone to find the missing word in the clip that we'll play from a classic U2 song which has been reimagined for their new album Songs of Surrender. Uh, Bono's full chat is with Chris Evans tonight uh, at seven o'clock here on Virgin Radio. Uh, first up we've got, is it Valerie? Hello Valerie. Hi Dan. Oh, There she is. Uh, and where are you today Valerie?
2: I'm in Cornwall near the Jamaica oh. Inn on Bodmin Moor
0: gorgeous and tell me is is it sunny in cornwall no it's gray surely
2: <laughs> no it's pouring with rain <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh very, very jamaica in very jamaica yeah, in. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's it you're just in for the day are you
2: no we've been out for breakfast uh civilly back lake to olive and co the best cafe in cornwall <laughs> and i've got my husband here in the car
0: with me oh <laughs> <laughs> hello what what's your husband's name Colin. Colin. Okay, Valerie and Colin. Uh, now, can yep. you hear... You can hear well enough on the phone, yeah?
2: Yeah, are
0: you struggling to hear me? No, no, I can hear you. It's just I'm about to play the clip, so I just want to make sure you're you're hearing okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, here comes the clip. What is the missing word? Hello, hello.
1: I'm a call. It's everything I wish I didn't know.
2: I can
0: feel. All right well, Valerie and. The oh, if you can sing it if you like. Uh, Valerie and <laughs> Colin, what do you think the missing word is? I think
2: it's vertigo.
0: You think it's vertigo. Valerie calling what? from Jamaica Inn. Let's find out if you're right. here we go. Congratulations, Valerie Thank and you. Colin. You've had the best breakfast available in Cornwall and now you've got a grand warrant with Wichita's goodie Box. Uh, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio?
2: Oh, God, it's horrible when people do that to you, it? Oh, my brother Roger, my sister Veronica, <laughs> my sister Rosemary, kids of James and <laughs> Laura. and most of all my grandchildren, Rose, Molly and Walid. <laughs>
0: Okay, very good. Big happy family. Uh, congratulations, Valerie. I'm so glad for you. That's great. And uh, Colin, drive safe now with the excitement. I know you'll be giddy with the excitement. But, uh, <laughs> all right, Thank have a you, lovely Ryan. Sunday. Cheering up our weekend. Bye. Aw, uh, Take care guys Take care Congratulations Bye bye That's Valerie and Colin in Cornwall Winners Winners of the Graham Norton with Waitrose gift box In Word Up We might be playing it again next week You never know Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on all platforms to see everything from gorgeous dishes to Graham's guides. That's it for now. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to
2: feel
1: good about. Virgin Radio.